0: Hello, welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your host. You know, material and spiritual attachments are big roadblocks to our growing union with the Lord. With that in mind, we gladly present this podcast by Deacon Baldwin, himself an OCDS member, this is his reflection on poverty to help you ponder how to live out the evangelical council of poverty in your own life. He cites the four degrees of poverty by St. Alphonsus Liguori from the book The Spouse of Christ. This is a very good reflection for all, and especially one that someone who is making their promise or vows in the secular order of Discast Carmelites should deeply ponder. So, without further ado, we present this podcast by Deacon Baldwin on the Reflections on Poverty.
1: The other day I got to thinking about our promise as Carmelites to live out the Evangelical Council of Poverty. After I ran across an article that discussed the four degrees of poverty as defined by St. Alphonsus Liguori in his book called The Spouse of Christ. Now, as Carmelite seculars, the scope of our promise to tend toward perfection in the Evangelical Council of Poverty clearly includes poverty of spirit. And it just as clearly does not mean that we must give up all our possessions as a vowed religious would. Our promises were of a different kind. Nevertheless, I would contend that in this very difference, there lies a danger. That being, because we are seculars, we can mistakenly conclude that our promise of tending toward the Evangelical Council of Poverty does not apply to our material possessions or worldly wealth at all. That is, in any manner whatsoever. I maintain, on the contrary, that the promise applies both spiritually and in some degree materially. Indeed, our task with regard to material poverty and the corresponding detachment to material things is perhaps more difficult than that of a religious, in that we must be detached from material possessions, even as our station in life requires us necessarily and legitimately to use, to own, to possess and dispose of things in a way no religious could, given their vow of poverty. Our sacred obligation to our children, families, and other obligations we have in the course of running businesses and our other occupations in the world often entails the possession of considerable wealth, property, and authority over things of this world. And yet, even so, we must be detached from them. We must possess them, not they, us. Our Holy Mother commented on the difficult task we have in the way of perfection, where she wrote, quote, Do you think, my daughters, that it is an easy matter to have to do business with the world, to live in the world? to engage in the affairs of the world and, as I have said, to live as worldly men do, and yet inwardly to be strangers to the world and enemies of the world, like persons who are in exile, to be in short, not men, but angels. Unquote. And yet, with God's help, With the prayers of all the Carmelite saints and martyrs that have gone before us, and with the support and prayers of our brothers and sisters in our community, that is exactly what grace enables us all to do. And so I propose to use the four degrees of poverty from St. Alphonsus Liguri as a means for you and I to reflect on our state of detachment to goods. both material and spiritual. And if we find we are wanting in this regard, let us take the results of our reflection to the Lord in prayer, to our spiritual director, or to some other person of wisdom, so that we may learn to live out ever more deeply the evangelical counsel of poverty we are called to. The first degree of poverty is not to possess anything as one's own, but rather as something entrusted to us. This degree of poverty sounds deceptively simple, but it is quite difficult to put into practice. In essence, it directs us to regard all material material or spiritual goods as but a temporary loan, one we should be ready to restore to its true owner, at the first intimation of our Lord's will. And there is a simple test to determine whether we possess goods with this degree of poverty. If we are disturbed at being deprived of something, then we did not possess it with a true spirit of poverty, or at least we had some attachment to it. If we feel an attachment to anything, we can resolve to deprive ourselves of it, at least for a time, so as to preserve our heart from all affection, even for those things we're permitted to retain. The second degree of poverty is to deprive ourselves of whatever is superfluous. For retaining what is superfluous will prevent perfect union of the soul with God. Saint Thomas Thomas once said, it is good to give your goods to the needy, but it is better to be poor with Christ. Those of us who treasure books will find something to consider in this next example. A devout sister known to Saint Alphonsus would not keep in her cell paintings or presents or even many books. For reading, she would say, a single book is sufficient and contains more than we can put into practice. The third degree of poverty is not complaining, even when we are in want of necessities. St. Francis de Sales once said, to desire to be poor and to not feel any of the inconveniences of want is to wish for the honor of poverty and the advantage of riches. On those occasions where we have to suffer from want, we can consider the words of St. Jane Francis Chantal, a woman of considerable means, who used to say that the opportunities of practicing poverty are so rare, we should, whenever they occur, accept them with gladness. The fourth and last degree of poverty is to prefer and select what is poorest, the poorest cell, the poorest bed, the poorest clothes, and the poorest food. Like the first degree of poverty, it is deceptively simple. But how many of us are anywhere near putting it into practice? With regard to poverty, our constitutions say, the promise of poverty seeks an evangelical use of the goods of this world, while carrying out our personal responsibilities in society, in family and work, while confidently placing all in the hands of God. When we truly practice poverty in all we do, and when poverty pervades who we are, we show that we have set our sights on the eternal, confident that God will give us the grace to embrace spiritual, and even material poverty with his help. Our practice of poverty is a witness that true riches are to be found elsewhere, namely, in the kingdom of God.
2: point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations have an additional source that they can draw on, the the only source, and those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now, there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of, of the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that quite frankly does not exist today not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us well and
3: I would say that you know, e- even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other and, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in in this way and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to to do that um, that that's a that's a, a foot in the door is it not uh, for them to uh, enter the, the, the richness of contemplation in the real presence and and as you alluded to, the the power of that is 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 but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before, who might witness it for the first time. But certainly, if we were to keep that up, um, then uh, it, it it will be noticed, and it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves, twenty four seven, for the time that they need to be here. And and also, I think quite powerfully. Um, introduce a broader segment of our Catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the, in the way that they would like to, um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people, especially in the conferences, and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. um, uh, There's a particular immigrant conference that that, uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, But uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, uh, integrated into the prayer Part of the spirituality of the society, for this simple reason: uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the uh, the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on. And so. We want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside, and that's where uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even uh, for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak Uh, very uh, uh, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many many years on the part of many in this area to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord, but we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said Uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do, and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us. These treasures of the Church will be with us until the Lord returns, and now we're being invited through this uh, um, initiative of 24 by 7 Adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, Certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to uh, uh, make that available. And we hope, if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area and thinking too about how you uh, begin to engender uh, a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that, of course, Michael, stems all the way back to our. Uh, our patron, Saint Vincent himself, Saint Vincent de Paul. And so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the, the just the brief, uh, you know, elevator speech history, because many people associate the society's founding itself with Saint Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, But I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well, and
3: isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the Society nearly 200 years ago, and when it was founded, it was uh, with reference to a a saint another 200 years before that. So uh, it is, you know, initially I think of um, how the the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to... Uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way. So, um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was in their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart, and uh, they approached um, some particular daughters of charity, who again are part of the, the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself, uh, to learn how to accompany the poor learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have um, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character. And, and how we operate.
2: And Ozanam himself, being a lay person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision. Talk, talk about that part of it because that's so so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the uh, of the society.
3: Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a, a ministry. We're a two by two. Uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are quite literally in their homes and it's been that way since since the beginning that's what the daughters of charity uh, taught frederick and his companions um, on on how to be present to people how to minister to them how to be an authentic relationship with them Um, and i think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about Poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic, um, two way, real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them. That has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships, and the idea that um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to
2: to gain for ourselves, other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent. We may come back to them, but because you left to that, I want to I want to uh, capitalize on that and. Um, just point out that the um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for Saint Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original uh, society, not societies, but his uh, uh, the, the missions and the uh, Daughters of the um, uh, Daughters of Charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty, A- and he said. Um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially he would not uh, want any one of these foundations uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own... Um, uh, members practicing that idea of poverty and it may have been material property in many ways of course it was for those who were ordained but uh, even from a spiritual standpoint he it, it wasn't as you said you know we we give of our excess and, and that which we have left we can think about the woman in the gospel of course that christ uh, points out to giving the, the the last of her uh, resources but um, here saint vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve and that's uh, the poor and and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues uh, because these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So, the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is
3: something that um, um, we. we we struggle with and in so much of our society today i i don't i i confess i don't know what it was like um for him and in his day but but i can say that um you know one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters for example who who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um who have um maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances, but many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here is that um the, the not everyone who comes here is in misery sometimes there's a quiet joy about them and it is in their simplicity is it it is in their letting go it is in their not being attached to uh too many worldly things and um you know many of them um, frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility um but th- Simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we we of course are are yearning for that virtue in uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that. I can walk 100 feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, And that's a
2: powerful witness. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I I read some of the material from St. Vincent's history on him and how he implemented and, and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct other activities people's activities, but you, and it seems to be uh, pervasive throughout the organization, people want to be involved in the ministry. They want to to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. Right. I think that's also part of it.
3: Well, and and plus how we position ourselves um, in that, we are we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity. Uh, when when all their other networks fail, when their when their family network fails, their employment fails, their shelter fails, their food security fails. Um, you know we we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to. We don't have barriers. We don't have the complications of. Uh, you know, the um, conditions that are placed on, um, on, on loving others. That's what we're here for. And, and again, we're, we're known throughout the community for that.
2: Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly. The, the uh, interim ones, we would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness, of course, in this environment. That's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal zeal for the work say say just a few words about that if you would
3: yeah that gosh zeal is an interesting thing because of course um uh it's used a couple of ways isn't it it's it on the one hand it's it's uh, used to describe passion on the other hand it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that <coughs> that, uh, that that chase down their own designs on on folks but but i you know i i have to say that um there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel, that really powers us to engage every day. And I see it in in our volunteers and our employees, and, and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, there, there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about... Um, uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work um, uh, where they notice that, that we, we're just energized. And, and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit.
2: It has a way of drawing you in. I've witnessed uh, just in my short tenure here uh, people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said. People who willingly work 50 and 60 hours a week, you know, to support this ministry. Um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact, uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day, and she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was it was a passion, and it was palpable, and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging, and and uh, it's really something to, to hold. to to behold, and you do see the face of Christ in these people. And it it makes you want to be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the uh, most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, There is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners. I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening. Uh, if you know of the St. Fitz at DePaul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about, and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself, and you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood, and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears, to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice, speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet, walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands, to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. A reminder you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.